Hi guys, this is Jake Parker. Welcome back to another episode of the Beyond Fit podcast, where it's my job to help you apply knowledge that is both scientific and practical into your own life to maximize your physique development and your overall body, as well as your mind. The combination of these two things is what makes you Beyond Fit. Hi guys, this is Jake Parker back on the Beyond Fit podcast. My guest today is Nick Krantz. He is coming back on the show for, I'm forgetting if it's a third or fourth time, um, but he was on just about a little over a year, about a year and a half ago now. Uh, he came on in April about the start of quarantine. So obviously quite a bit has changed since then. Quite a bit has changed in Nick's personal life. We were kind of talking about that off camera. Uh, we were talking a little bit about the struggles that he's had with his own health. And so I thought that what might be informative for myself, for Nick, and for the audience would be for him to talk a little bit about how his coaching method has changed uh, in accordance with his own health and what that whole experience has been like and how he sort of approaches things now with some of the changes, which he'll touch on a little bit as much or as little as you want to, Nick, but how that has changed, how you focus on other people and how you coach other people with your, your own issues. Yeah, man. Hey, thanks again for having me back. This is the third time as I, as I think back, but um, yeah, it's been quite, quite a journey and I, I appreciate you having me back on, man. Absolutely. So as far as, if you would, as much or as little as you're comfortable with, kind of go into what your, your own personal journey has been like in a nutshell uh, with your own health and then what sort of lessons you've learned from that that you have applied to working with clients because you've worked with clients for a number of years now, but I think that you would agree your your overall focus has changed from when you started to now. And what has that all looked like for you? Yeah, yeah, totally. And, uh, you know, even last time we talked, which we had discussed was last April, um, and that was really the start of uh, this whole, you know, concussion therapy type thing. Uh, having my second TBI, it was way different than anything I've ever experienced before. Uh, there was no basic rest, recover, walk, train, and I'm, I was quote unquote, back to normal. Um, and so, you know, where I was talking to you before, I thought it was, you know, progressing, but I just didn't want to go back to the hospital. And I just was like, yeah, I'll, I'll figure this out basically. But, you know, as my body started to fight back and fight back, I just couldn't figure out why I, you know, kind of why we don't want to ask for help because we're like, why can't I figure this out? Why can't I be the one to fix my body and my brain? And, um, you know, like I said, it's not a, it's not a broken arm. It's not a broken finger. I don't know what was going on. And so as, you know, the year kind of continued on and my body started to spiral downward uh, and I was like really left for uh, the only option was to go back to the same place I was at uh, in the concussion clinic. And, you know, it turns out the specialists that I had invested in and I had put my health into their hands and trusted them, you know, they came back with me after the six week protocol and said, you know, maybe, maybe you need to see a therapist, uh, you know, maybe it's really just all in your head. Um, you know, I honestly just don't know what's wrong with you. Um, and so at that point, as you go through all the work and you go through all this, you know, process, it's like, you're left with that with, and I, I asked him any, any type of question I would ask um, in regards to a brain gut connection, there was just no answer because um, he didn't have one. And it's okay. As coaches, the best thing to say is, I don't know. But you can find that answer from somebody that does or the internet or what. Um, but because the, the research has been so new, basically from like 2017 and on, the, the neurologists that had studied years and years ago have not caught up to the research or chosen to, that I've come in contact with, basically learn the, the new methodologies or you know believe in it. But that doesn't mean you're, you have the right to say that you know, it's, it's not real or whatever, but Hey, you know, tomato, tomato. Oh, so one question I have before you go on is I, like you said, you're, you're seeing a new uh, doctor now that is a little bit more up on the, the new technology and the new research. And so I'm curious, like, if you, if you're aware of it, if it's something you've thought about, like say 10, 20 years ago in the past, uh, before some of the information that you're finding started to come come to the forefront, is that like, basically they would say about your condition, kind of the same thing that you were experiencing at first. Like, we don't know what to do. You just kind of have to live with it. And that's, I guess, until like these newer, this newer stuff is coming about, it was just something that has never been addressed by, by medical literature or anything like that. 
yeah, basically it's just like, okay, what are your symptoms? X, Y, Z. Okay. Now I'll diagnose you because this is the symptoms you're showing mm -hmm. me. Okay. But what actually had caused, what is the root cause of the, the problem? Just because I am dizzy, um, does not mean that like, oh, you know, you just, your balance sucks. Well, are mm -hmm. you sure? Like maybe it's, as they said, like my vestibular system, because it was, uh, had been jargoned and all of a sudden, like my eyes are perceiving different things. And now my brain can't understand why, you know, if I'm looking at you, actually my, my nervous system is seeing like this, like off to the side. So it, it can't correlate, uh, and, and connect and doesn't understand. Like I see you, but now I'm getting dizzy because I can't focus. Um, but, you know, they just wanted to treat the symptom and not the root cause. And so the more you can treat a symptom, it's still just putting a bandaid over this, this huge bullet mm -hmm. uh, wound that I, I am starting to continue to come across um, by the grace of God of my, my doctor with uh, being a functional neurologist. Um, but, you know, being able to say, yeah, this is your, you have post-concussion syndrome. Um, yeah, basically it's just going to be tough. And, you know, we'll see you again in six months uh, if, for a follow-up. Like, mm -hmm. uh, Okay, so basically, uh, you're you're off to live with it because it's it's underneath the surface. It's kind of hard to see, mm -hmm. um, but basically, yeah. I mean, it, 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 it's it's absolutely true. Well, did you ever feel like it seems like you would resonate with with this based on what you're talking about? Like myself personally, it's not something I've talked about a lot, but ever since like 2019, um, I've been taking SSRIs just to help with generalized anxiety. And there's been times in the past when I think, you know, I, I do so many things to improve my health. I, you know, I eat right, I exercise, I make sure uh, I regularly try to meditate and journal and all these sort of things. And there's been times when I've tried to go off my medication, just thinking, you know, I'm tough enough, I can tough it out. And I have this kind of mentality almost that comes from like the, uh, well, I guess like aggression and masculinity of like being a guy who's always been interested in weightlifting and that sort of stuff. Um, but really I found that you can't always think your way through these things and you can't always tough these things out. So I'm curious if that's something you kind of had to overcome too, in terms of just that identification as being someone who's tough enough to grind through things, but also realizing where you need to get help and where you need to be vulnerable. Yeah, no. And, and thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I, I had done the same thing knowing that my family had always um, basically had generalized anxiety and, and struggled with depression. But through my whole childhood, I knew they would take, you know, a certain SSRI, but I'm like, I don't need that. I got this. Like I can still be funny and goofy at school or, you know, out, out and about, but I still knowing that I would have anxiety mm -hmm. and always hated, like if my face turned red, because I knew it was me feeling anxious, but mm -hmm. I'm like, no, it's fine. Um, but you know, when I, you know, same thing, when I try and go off and try and wean back, it's like, well, you know, you need them for, for a reason. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's like, yo, it's okay to seek help. It's okay to understand that not every time in your life um, is going to be as, you know, happy, go lucky, awesome, exciting, not stressful uh, as you would like, but you know, if your brain is deficient in certain areas and, and needs that uh, serotonin uptake, like, yes, uh, it, it's okay to ask and seek for help. Um, and I think I, you know, even getting back into counseling, uh, I think around the same time I got on SSRIs, like a little after my dad passed, like three years ago, um, it was basically like putting the guard down, like, yo, it's okay to ask and seek for help. Um, we don't have all the answers as human beings. A lot of us, with the people we walk past each and every day uh, struggle with a lot of the same things. We just don't know because we want to act like everything's good. Uh, yeah. And it, it shows vulnerability and it's hard to be vulnerable. Uh, and put yourself out there and seek help. But at the end of the day, it's the best thing that you could possibly do because you, your mind will take more control of, of your thoughts that your thoughts turn into actions. And then next thing you know, you are becoming an absolute shell of yourself. Um, kind of like I had this, you know, this downward spiral because of how sick I, I was and I just, I couldn't figure it out. Mm-hmm. So as far as things that you find to be most impactful, is there certain things that if you not, I don't know if remember is the right word, but if you're able to do certain things physically or mentally, um, as far as habits, routines, is there things that, that continually help you to feel more like yourself to be in a better place? Or is it just kind of the day-to-day -day of being subject to your own body chemistry that sort of determines if you're able to do these things? You know, with that, it's, it's each day is different. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, if for a while it's every day is like psyching myself up to like fight the battle against my own body and my mind, um, you know, and for a while it was, I was so lost. Um, but, um, you know, kind of tracking back to around April when I finally went and said, forget my primary. Cause I was trying to get it just testosterone, uh, checked and he just said like no you're young and healthy i'm like do you not remember what you know i've been going through mm-hmm. um, but either way everybody should get their numbers checked just because you you never know what's going on inside period um but ended up going to a third party um you know and, and the range is 200 to 1100 so my my number was at 375 uh yes that's low um but i'm still in range because thank you western medicine um but so the, the one i was able to get on trt and be be able to repair that um i began to feel like myself again because i didn't i've worked out only 14 times over the last you know 14 months at that point and so being able to get back into a routine and being able to basically have that miracle grow of working out and what it does for my brain and my body my overall sense of being to feel like myself again that was like started to feel like myself again um but you know when when times like you know i'm not feeling well like i have for the last month or so um, just doing things with like my, my oldest even like, or just doing things that I, I used to enjoy. Cause you know, I can't just go work out uh, as I used to, but like do a play video games. He's into call of duty now. Um, so I'm like, dude, I played that all through college. <laughs> so I love that. Um, well, uh, since football has just started, so I love to, you know, watch, watch one thing, but he's also getting back into it. Um, and then just like spending time with fam and, you know, really just getting in touch with, you know, getting away from technology and just honing in on things that matter most, um, because that kind of gives you that sense of well-being and sense of happiness. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I've tried to, I think, especially in the last year, spend less and less time on social media, just because I realize how it, how much it can alter my, my mindset and even subconsciously, I try to be more aware of the things that I can do to put myself into a better state of well-being because I notice that on the days that I am not trying to move the big rocks, such as take care of my relationships, uh, talk to my family, express gratitude, that stuff that sounds almost silly on the surface, especially if you were to ask me like five years ago or so, but that I know is so important for me to just maintain my, my well-being. And I know that I, it's probably tougher for you with like every day being so different neurochemically wise. But I think that my biggest takeaway for people um, to just, I guess, sort of touch on like how I started to view things as far as routines and feeling like myself is you really have to pay attention to the subconscious things and realize that not everything is going to be outcome focused. Kind of like you said, um, treating the, the symptom of things rather than just the cause. So I guess a takeaway to someone listening would be if you feel shitty, it's not always that you need to do something immediately. Um, like, you know, eat something that you like or watch something that you like, or, you know, it's not always that short-term gratification, but you have to make lifestyle altercations that, you know, are going to reliably impact you day to day. And that takes a lot of reflection. Yeah. And it does take a lot of reflection because we want that instant gratification and that mm-hmm. feeling over time. Um, but something I've learned, uh, especially over the, this past, you know, almost two years is to sometimes you have to, you know, take in the feelings all at once when something mm-hmm. happens, you know, good, bad, sad. Yeah. Um, you know, as time went on, I had always, you know, shoved everything aside, family deaths, family trauma. And I was just always the one to be like, no, it's okay. Like we got this. We'll keep going forward, you know, be trying to be a leader, but I never wanted to um, internalize or, you know, really understand what was going on or know how to feel. Cause I didn't know, I didn't know how to feel. Um, and so all of a sudden, you know, when my gym was taken away from me that I used as my iron therapy, all of a sudden, you know, you know, I have this second TBI and this trauma is just running through uh, my body that I don't know how to handle. I don't know what's going on. Um, and so this mental and emotional traumas that they can literally trigger the same, you know, damaging chemicals in your brain as, as physical trauma would. So basically I was like, Hey, maybe it was, and this is my silver lining of this was, this was supposed to happen. That's why I'm going through it. Um, because look, you didn't face a lot of things and now you're just kind of learning how to, uh, empathize in the moment and, you know, feel what you're supposed to feel like, Oh, 
yeah, that's, that's sad. I don't like that. It's like, well, mm -hmm. learn how, because it's like, otherwise it just gets stored and bottled up. And next thing you know, uh, you don't know when it's going to explode. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think another lesson for me, just on trying not to give too much stock to what you see on social media, because and I think I've had this discussion before on the podcast, but it's not that sharing your best self or sharing your wins on social media is necessarily a bad thing, but it's a bad thing. If you see that from other people and you think that that means that they're not going through other things personally that, that don't make them feel good, that aren't high points. And I think there is a lot to be said for sometimes you just need to let an emotion in for it to not take hold of you. I think that uh, I'm, I'm thinking of, have you ever heard of the book Man's Search for Meaning? Uh, by uh, Victor Frankl? Yes, actually, yes. Yeah. So yeah, Holocaust survivor, really good, really good read. But at one point um, in there, he talks about just the feeling of emotions and feeling of suffering. And he was talking about um, when he was practicing, I think this was after um, he'd been out of the camp for a while. And he had someone who just had like irreparable problem with like sweating when they got nervous. And he said he would just have them focus on try as hard as you can to sweat and you won't be able to. So it's kind of like when you think, you know, you, I'm feeling sad, I'm feeling anxious, I'm feeling fearful or nervous. It's like the, the harder you try to push those things back and not feel them, the more that they're going to impact you when they finally creep up or the more that they're going to take hold of you. Whereas if you feel that stuff mm -hmm. and, and you, you really soak it in and sit with it, then it'll kind of be like, okay, I've had my, I've had my impact. I've, I've shared what I need to share and then I'll leave. I think it's kind of a Tim, a Tim Ferriss thing I've, I've heard before in his podcast where he talks mm -hmm. about fear setting when you really get very honest and straightforward about what you, what you're, what you're fearing. And that kind of makes it lose its teeth, lose its power. Yeah. And I think it's, it's like, every time that I get ready to play a football game in high school and college, I was always nervous. There was always that, like, you had that like nervous dump right before you got to go out. Mm -hmm. And so my, my oldest who, who's 12, um, he's extremely talented. Um, but he, you know, he's still talking about getting nervous, talking about, mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm like, dude, you have to turn those nerves. And, and Kobe said it the best, like, yeah, I feel that but I'm channeling those nerves into excitement. So mm -hmm. you take that, you feel it. You can't say, no, I'm not nervous. Like, dude, yeah, it's okay to be nervous. You care. You want to do well. You want to go out, perform for your team, for your family, you know, for yourself. But when you have those nerves, like turn that into whatever emotion in, in a positive way and channel it somewhere else. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's basically kind of like what you said. Mm -hmm. And I think another way to take the teeth out of that nervousness, especially when you talk about like great athletes is Kobe was one of the most famous practicers that has ever been. And so he, I think, had that confidence that is definitely different from cockiness. I think he did have some cockiness and all great athletes do, but he had a very secure confidence because he'd practiced so much and he had watched himself make those shots so many times that yes, he was nervous, but he also had the, I always, I always talk about confidence requires evidence. And he had that evidence that he was going to mm -hmm. go out and perform well, because he'd seen himself do that before. And it's kind of like the, the nervousness of say, like someone's going to act in a play. If they've been over their lines hundreds of times, they're going to be nervous, but confident. Whereas if they feel underprepared and they've, they've gone over the script one or two times, well, they're probably going to be rightfully nervous and they are going to be more uh, in tune with how, how, closely of a possibility screwing up might be kind of like when you talk about like taking a test in high school or college, there's always that nervous energy when you get a test, but there's a different feeling between knowing you're underprepared and knowing that you're nervous because of the importance of it, but you've, you've put in the work. So whenever you can, mm -hmm. I think it's important to focus on um, less things than you want to, so that you're more prepared than like spreading yourself very thin. And when it comes to anything mm -hmm. in your life. Yeah. And I think that's definitely a misunderstood, uh, like area of like the cocky and being confident like mm -hmm. when you're out there you know on an island as I would say like you know if I'm out there playing safety and I have to go and guard you know a number the number two slot receiver like I can't think like oh no this dude's fast like oh there's a lot of room for him to run left and right mm -hmm. like dude I have to believe that I am way better than him that I have prepared better than him that I'm stronger he could be faster whatever but I, that I'm gonna win that one-on-one -on -one battle and you have to believe it like in in people you know, the greats of the greats are wired differently. They think differently. They, everything that they do is differently. So it's like when somebody looks at that and think like they're cocky, like you, they have to believe that mm -hmm. because they, everything is life or death. Um, and so it, it's just a, a, a common 
you know, and some people are cocky, they get their mouth smashed in and, you know, it happens, but, you know, they will always, you know, maybe bounce back because they believe in themselves. Um, and that's, that's the biggest part. That's the biggest part of it. Yeah. And cockiness usually is a lot more ego driven. I think everybody is going to be ego driven to some extent, but especially when you talk about cockiness, it's just the, I think wanting to be great, but not necessarily like, like we said, having put in the work. So I guess I'm curious because I've seen you talk about um, just your own mental, I want to say like um, just the things that you do to keep yourself mentally sharp and to affirm yourself affirmations, I guess was the word I was thinking of. I've heard you talk about. And Mm -hmm. so how important do you think like affirming, like you, like you continue to say that you're going to get better and you're going to, you're going to beat this thing. How important is that to you? And what do you think about the connection between affirming And it's kind of like, you know, when people talk about the law of attraction, I'm a big fan of that because I think when you affirm things in your mind and you put them at the forefront, you're going to work harder to get them. Talk about like an easy example of I'm going to affirm that I'm going to be a millionaire. I'm going to make a million dollars. I'm going to make a million dollars saying that every day and then going and putting in the work to do something that's going to make that that's going to be fruitful. That's going to do that for you is one thing. Whereas just saying that every day, you know, a hundred times and then sitting on your couch the rest of the day, obviously is not going to have any impact. So how do you think about the affirmations and, and how that journey kind of puts you on a different track? Yeah. And so when I was in college, my, my coach, uh, one of them was, was younger and I had actually played with him in high school. Um, but you know, he'd tell me about this, you know, positive affirmation. I'm like, man, that's stupid. Like stop, like, you know, you just downplay it. Like, why would I tell myself that, uh, you know, I'm going to be great today. Uh, mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense. Um, but as I, you know, even as I would write on the board, um, you know, I would see it, but I would always erase it every day. Like I will be better today. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and it's, it's, it's the belief pattern. It's the, I, I, I'm not where I want to be, but I believe that what I will do today with whatever amount of energy that I have with, with anything that's out of my control, that at the end of the day, I will be better some way, somehow, because I am deciding that. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, if somebody's positive affirmation is like, you know, like you are beautiful, like, dude, tell yourself that because like, like we just said in the last, in the last convo, it's like, if you don't believe it, like the moment somebody tells you otherwise, or you see something else that you want to start comparing yourself to, or, you know, something derails you of, you know, you're thinking like, you're not going to want to believe it. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it's like, I, there's so many days where I, you know, I had thoughts uh, and felt things that I've never thought in my million, my life that I I think that way. but it just shows how how sick my my brain was and and how you know now I like how inflamed it was to be able to not think clearly uh, and, and and really just not understand things. But um, you know even on your deepest and darkest days, like you have to know that like you will get better. In my in my case, like I will get better. Um, but that doesn't mean I can just sit here and and, and fart around. Like I have to. Like I said, with whatever energy that my, my brain allows me some days, like, I don't know what the battery charged is, but I know that I will be better. It's just, it, whether it's 0.4%, give me it all, you know, you mm-hmm. have to take what you can get. Mm-hmm. So do you still find it troubling to, as, as someone who has less autonomy over your own mental health than most people with your condition, how do you find the process of believing or not believing in all of your thoughts, because I think a lot of times that's what it comes down to is your power to say, yes, I hear this going on in my head, but I'm not going to believe it, or I'm not going to act on it. And I imagine in your scenario, sometimes that can be a lot more difficult, but how do you think about that and like actions versus the things that you think and tell yourself? Yeah. And and especially after in February, when the doctors told me like, you know, it's all in your head, it's, you know, mm-hmm. you need to see a therapist. Um, you know, I just don't know what's wrong with you. And basically laughing me off, like, you know, basically, I was like, I'm going to show you. But as as I had that time separation, you know, a day or two a week, I'm like, like, dang, maybe, you know, maybe they are right. You mm-hmm. know, and you start to believe in it and affirm that inside and it becomes cemented. Uh, and then, the, the, you know, the more that time had passed from that, I had become so, so lost and confused and I became way more sick, um, from the therapy that I was doing. And I started to believe, uh, everything that there was no positivity going on, you know, every day in Northeast Ohio looked the same. It was gray. It was cold. Um, you know, there was a, there was, there were several days in a, 
uh, in a row and throughout the year that I'd wake up and I didn't know if it was real or if it was fake. Uh, like I, I couldn't, I didn't know where I was. Like it was like, it's like, it's crazy to even like to say, but mm-hmm. you know, the things that, especially that my wife has seen um, behind closed doors, it's like, it's, it's hard to explain to somebody that, you know, I wouldn't wish it upon anybody, but mm-hmm. um, it's, it's, it takes a collective effort some days to be like, you know, like, I got your back. <laughs> I'm here for you. Like, mm-hmm. um, but you know, the, the more you feed into the negativity, your body and brain want to go to it yeah. um, because it takes effort to, to dig and find uh, that positive Avenue. And it, it's hard to sometimes, but um, it's easier to, to sulk and to sift. And especially when you start to want to break out your phone and scroll through Twitter and Instagram and be like, Oh, there's some negative news. Like, Oh, heck yeah. Like, Oh yeah. And then all it of a sudden, confirming. Like, it's just, it's just like feeding into it. Um, and then that fire starts to build inside and it's not the fire uh, you want to ignite. Yeah. A good comparison I've heard before is as far when it comes to getting out of negative thoughts and how difficult that can be. It's like, whatever you create in your mind, you kind of create tracks. Like someone can imagine tracks in like a muddy road or a dirt road or something like that. The more you think in one certain pattern, the more you create those tracks. And so you have to work hard, although it's possible you have to work harder, the deeper those, those grooves are. And I think that that's Mm -hmm. a good way to think about, is it impossible? No, but this is why it's difficult. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I, whatever test you're given, you have to, to match it. Like you're given a test that you can handle period. Um, you know, sometimes it seems too hard and too difficult to climb, uh, that, that mountain, but whatever test you're given there, it's, I always, you know, I believe everything happens for a reason. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so that's, maybe that's my way of thinking, uh, positively, but, you know, at the end of the day, I think like whatever test I'm, you know, given, whether it's this minute, this hour, this week, this month, this year, like, all right, like, let's go. Uh, whether it's a bumpy ride or whatever, like, you got to roll with the, and, and take the punches and learn from them. It's not, it's not a win and loss. It's win and learn. Mm-hmm. And I agree. And I think that when it comes to stuff like you saying, everything happens for a reason, I think that there's stuff like that, where there's not really any way to ever say that's the definitive truth or not, but there's some things like that, that I think, why not believe that way and act in a way that, that, that you, that, you would act if that were true. So, because when it comes to how pragmatic it can be in your life, if you act like everything happens for a reason and you believe that and you, not that you would let it control you obviously, but that you use that as a frame of reference to frame negative things that happen to you. I think that it can only be beneficial. And because there's really the alternative is kind of just being nihilistic. I think it's good to believe in things like that and to let that guide you because there's, there's a lot of positivity that can come out of that. Mm-hmm. So Nick, how has your personal viewpoints on this stuff changed in the last year or so? And how did it maybe make you better able to coach people, coach people in a different way, um, frame things such as, you know, you've had such personal difficulties and struggles that we've gotten into. How do you look at people who say, oh, you know, I'm just, I'm just upset with myself about not being able to lose 10 pounds and things that may seem more ephemeral now to you that you've had these, these deep struggles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, you know, and it's nothing to minimize what somebody else is, is saying, but it's really just getting them to see the bigger picture. Um, and so, you know, when I first started coaching uh, like full, like online, basically uh, about four years ago, it was just mainly helping guys build muscle. Cause that was, that was my story, you know, gaining 50 pounds and wanting to help other guys do that. But, you know, as time goes on and a couple more head injuries, and then I'm, you know, here trying to really build myself back up from what I see as um, ground zero. I, I feel like my body, my mind, my gut health, my brain health, mental health, physical health, everything had just evaporated. Uh, but I was still like this being that I could see in the mirror, but I didn't know who it was. Um, and so really, really shifting because, you know, fat loss, of course, is always a byproduct of a lot of other things. Um, but really when we take control of our, our brain health, um, that is the absolute epicenter of who we are, our thoughts, our mood, our actions, our emotions, everything that we do is tied to our brain. Our brain doesn't sleep. Um, it is always on. It's always working. Uh, believe it or not, as you are sleeping, your brain is actually taking a little shower, trying to refresh and, uh, you know, basically clean the cobwebs while, 
you're like, oh, I'm tired. So I'm going to take the day off or I'm going to, I'm not going to sleep that much. So your brain's mm-hmm. like, yo, I need you to go to sleep so I can kind of get regulated. Mm-hmm. Um, but really just focusing on, you know, how, what, what is, you know, brain health and how can people, uh, you know, understand that I think is the bigger picture, but. Um, so as but far like, as, sorry, just, just to interrupt real quick is sleep for you, something that comes easily. Is it something you struggle with? Is it something you've found ways to improve uh, to be able to get more recovery for your brain? I mean, sleep is, if not, or bigger uh, than anything that the people would think. Uh, it's always looked as a, you know, I, well, I don't really need sleep, but I'm just going to keep grinding. And that's, that's the constant right. thing of I'm going to grind and grind and grind. Uh, but for me, I know that especially after having 15 concussions i've always you know monitored sleep closely just you know just to see in more in the recovery phase but now i know that you know if i'm not getting enough sleep or getting enough nutrients in that my brain is not able to repair itself so i have been good about like getting to sleep around 9 9 30 because i'm used to waking up at four ish um depending on the time because i don't really set an alarm Mm -hmm. Um, but for a while when i was really really sick there was no alarm like i just i would just try and sleep as much as i could and you know my circadian rhythms off but my body was just so just inflamed and confused and at that time i had had no idea what was going on um so sleep is good but consistent sleep is good and it even shows that even if like maybe you missed some sleep the day before it is better to honestly try and grind out that period throughout the day and go to sleep on the same time again than rather trying to quote unquote catch up um, because mm-hmm. your body and, and your rhythm will will thank you later for that yeah absolutely um so then going into uh what you were saying there about how the brain connects to your health how did you translate that to people because obviously that's kind of a a higher arching topic and can be probably pretty complex so how does that get translated to people on kind of a pragmatic level? Yeah. And a lot of things that I've done since over the last year is really just connecting with the, the brain injury and concussion TBI community. And, and really just like, like almost like I was an outsider because I was so focused on, you know, business and, and really just creating, you know, people with a good fat loss uh, results. And it's like, wait a minute, like, you know, that's fun. And all. I love that. But like, I needed to really connect with people that have, especially with what I, you know, I am and still going through, like going through the same stuff, because sometimes you feel so alone with everybody's got their own issues, but sometimes you feel so alone with, you know, you have a TBI or you have a, you know, SIBO and all of a sudden it's like, wow, there's a lot of Facebook, Facebook groups or like, uh, places you can like hop on zoom and just talk and be like, well, I guess I'm not the only one going through this. Um, but when you, when somebody is, is experiencing, you know, brain fog, fatigue, um, lack of concentration, it's, it's usually just, oh, you know, I'm just getting older. Um, you know, my neurologist, a couple, couple ones back said that like, oh no, it's okay. You're just getting older and get, you get used to it. And it, it clearly it's become so normalized that, well, you shouldn't be functioning at a higher level or, but why not? you know, why not? (laughs) That's, that's the thing. And it's like, once you stop to normalize, you know, the brain fog, anxiety, depression, uh, you know, lack of focus, like you understand that you can heal and you can better live because this is, this isn't just, you know, like I said, a, a, a body that you desire is always a byproduct of doing the fundamentals, um, and the consistent actions you take, um, for, you know, talking about more so a new, uh, coaching regimen, but. Right. And um, it reminds me of, of how people talk about body fat too. You know, as you get older, it becomes easier to put on body fat and it becomes more common and normal. That doesn't mean it has to happen. That doesn't mean just because you get older, you're, you're going to inevitably put on more body fat. It might just require, require more attention and new strategies. And I think that that's something that would be synonymous here. Absolutely. And it, and it's easier when people around you are telling you, Hey, you know, it, dude, it's okay. Like, we're just going to have, you know, more cake here and more pizza here. And no, yeah, yeah. We don't really need to go to the gym. Like when you're not surrounded by people that have uh, the same drive or the same desires or beginning to normalize this basically just average, you know, physical mental lifestyle, then you're going to maybe go with the flow until you see somebody that breaks out of it. Like, 
Like if my neurologist saw another 40 year old neurologist that was like, you know, shredded, understood, you know, his body, his mind, his aspect, like, why is he that way? And you're trying to downplay me on your own insecurities. Like that's, that was my point of like, nope, this isn't normalized. I'm not going to have it. Um, like I said, when people are sick and tired of feeling literally sick and tired, not minimizing this being sick and tired of being overweight or sick mm -hmm. and tired of, you know, how they're at with their um, overall physical appearance, energy, whatever. But when you are really trying to fight to get back to a place that I don't even like to say when people say, I just want to feel normal again. Like you don't want to feel normal. You want to feel, you want to feel freaking great. Like you don't right. want to feel normal. Absolutely. Like you don't want to get to a baseline. You want to feel better. So as I look, you know, at my labs and I look at, uh, you know, other overall markers, it's like, that's great. Like you have the, the standard in range, but you want to be optimal. You're not trying to get to a place of normal. Um, and so that's when all of a sudden, like, okay, actually eating, and, and taking the time to prepare fish, uh, you know, in some greens for dinner is a lot more convenient than saying, I'm, I'm going to eat this pizza. And then all of a sudden, um, like basically feel like death for the next couple of days. Cause your body has a reaction to it. Um, which eventually of course I'll, I'll get back to eating pizza. But for now, I know if, if I do, like I'm literally taking time away from my recovery, taking time away from my family time, taking time away from my business, taking time away from literally being able to try and crawl back up the hill. Like I just, you just get dragged down to ground zero. Um, and that's why it's like, it becomes like, it's about literally about health. Um, mm -hmm. and, and some things, of, it seems like some things that we, that people tend to think of as just platitudes and they, they are to some extent, but when you say something like you are what you eat, that, that really is true. And I try to think about in the context of my own diet, you know, the things you eat are literally forming new cells in your body and they literally are becoming you. And so some, somewhere that I've kind of switched my focus a bit is to focus, of course, I it always focused on calorie balance and macronutrients, but also just trying to eat whole natural food and trying to stay away from that ultra processed food or things that are likely to make me feel worse and make me not perform at my best because even maybe for some people, even more so, or at least just as important as body composition, you want the food that you eat to fuel your mind in your brain in a way that is going to be uh, best suited for you. So, you know, people have heard about empty calories since we were kids probably. And we had usually parents that tried to steer us away from that stuff. But what does that truly mean? You know, stuff that your eating should be providing your body with not only calories, but also nutrients and vitamins and minerals that are going to make you feel uh, whole and vital and think at your best, not just perform at your best. Yeah. If you're getting your food primarily out of a box with, you know, and you have to rip it open, like you're most likely just getting processed foods and things that have been around the mill. And, you know, you're not getting the whole natural source of nutritious foods and look there's a time and a place and i'm you know not saying as you are like there's no like demonizing it like of course right. like it feels good but if you desire to feel better and you desire to perform better then the choice of of saying like okay can i have these fruit snacks or should i go and make a nice little you know tuna salad like it's probably going to be is your purpose over here or are you trying to go for pleasure? Like that's what it comes down to is, is that you have to choose purpose over pleasure in the, in the time of when you feel most vulnerable, which is most likely when you're hungry. Yeah. And just because something's macro friendly, doesn't necessarily mean it's friendly to your, your brain and your gut health. Absolutely. I think somebody brought that up uh, on comment on my post and said, well, can I just lose weight with, you know, 2000 calories of McDonald's instead of two thousand calories of whole nutritious foods sure you definitely can uh but as you look at the timetable on that um overall body comp composition how do you feel what do you look like how is your digest like there it's like yes of course you can but all of a sudden your body's going to adapt to mcdonald's a lot quicker and all and at the end of the day like yes it sounds silly but no yes you can but that's not optimal that's not even close mm -hmm. to being <laughs> that's below normal um, if you want to go that route, but Hey, to each his own. Yeah. And, you know, obviously like that's going to lead you to be a lot more hungry, not feel like you're performing well, and there's going to be a slew of other problems with that, but it, it is interesting because I, I think it shouldn't be discounted. I guess the importance of people knowing that it doesn't come down to the healthiness of your food necessarily, if you're going to lose weight, if you're going to have a healthy body composition. And I know as someone who it took me a long time to understand that that is important. 
but at the same time, you have to understand the disadvantages that go with that and how that's not going to be suitable long term. When you talk about sustainability, that's probably not going to be sustainable. And again, of course, it's just not going to make you look and, and well, it's not going to make you feel your best, even no. if you can look okay. Um, there's an interesting, I, I remember seeing something online once where there was a guy who went on like an ice cream and protein shakes diet where he, he lost weight because he was eating literally only ice cream and protein shakes and like 2000 calories a day. And it's like that sort of stuff, I think are, I think those are good anecdotes because it shows that calories in calories out is the basis of your fat loss and muscle gain, but the body is so much more than that. And we're not just, you know, experiments in a lab where people, and we have to think about how we feel and think and how mm -hmm. food affects our emotions and our, you know, our nervous systems and, and all that other kind of stuff. Yeah. And even so, I, I even know with my 12 year old, like when you are wanting to eat more of the processed foods that your body will want to crave more, even if you only had, you know, just a couple hundred calories, but when it comes time to eat those nutritious meals, it becomes a lot harder to digest and eat that. And you get full a lot faster because your body is used to the processed foods. So all of a sudden when it's time that I know that when he's starting to eat um over at dad's house like it it can be a little more difficult because all of a sudden you have to eat more nutrient foods and you can't have all the fun and playful foods that like wait like it's your body has to work a little harder so that's why it's a much easier to get full off of you know your 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 big mac meal and then when it comes time to eat you know chicken green beans and rice like wow this is having a lot harder i'm full already and well, that's because your body, your body is having a hard time digesting that um, and metabolizing it. Yeah, there's this study that they always talk about on Mind Pump, which is a podcast you listen to also, where they say that in conditions where they let people eat as much as they want, but having let them having processed food versus not having any processed food, people tend to eat like 500 less calories on average, just eating whole foods and eating as much as they want, eating to get full. So mm -hmm. that just goes to show how important it is to really try to at least if nothing else, think about that 80, 20 rule and having 80% whole natural food, because it's going to fill you up so much more quickly. And it's going to just make you eat less on the whole. Yeah. I, I mean, couldn't say it better. Like that's, that's just the fact. Um, and you'll like I said, you feel better. Uh, you'll be able to get more nutrients in your food and then you'll start to perform at a better level than you were. Um, but that's always the, the tough decision of making it. So, mm -hmm. And it's almost like addition by subtraction too, where it's like, if you were to, I, I guess, I think a great piece of advice for someone who doesn't know where to turn is confused about diet. I would probably say to add a couple servings of protein a day, wherever those are appropriate and add some fruits and vegetables, and then still do whatever else you want, because that's going to be an inherent limiter. It's going to make you not only have less cravings, but it's also going to make you be more full and just have less room to eat that extra stuff. Cause you're just not going to be hungry for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. It's the adding rather than trying to totally subtract everything, wipe, wipe the board clean and say, okay, I'm now I'm just only eating, you know, chicken, eggs, and beef, and then only like four vegetables and maybe some rice. Like, no, that's, that's definitely not ideal. That's not sustainable. That's what you haven't been doing for the last four years. And you're going to do that in one day. Like, no, mm -hmm. start to have those micro, uh, implements of adding, okay, I'm going to go to sleep, you know, 30 minutes earlier. Right. Okay. I'm going to do a 10 minute walk on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. You, you start to have those little wins and, and picking up on little things that you adding that just, you will start to subtract all the, the garbage, um, you know, mentally, physically. And then that's kind of when the, the, the spark plug of motivation taps in. And then you're like, wow, I see it now. Yeah. The other interesting thing to me is when you look at just basic, uh, basics on physiology in the body, stuff like thinking about how sugar can, the way I understand it is it creates um, some sort of gut bacteria that will make you crave more sugar. So again, that's where the body goes beyond the calories in calories out. If you can inherently limit yourself to, again, we'll just call it 2000 calories a day, just for argument's sake, and you're getting some of that through sugar, that's okay if you can keep it to that. But again, we're not just experiments in a lab. And if you are someone who is going to eat sugar and then you're going to crave more sugar and you're either A, going to give into that and you're no longer going to be at your 2000 calories or you're going to B, feel like you're restricting yourself and feel like you're not giving yourself something you want, then both of those things are somewhat negative outcomes that again, don't have as much to do with the whole calories in calories out equation. 
Yeah, absolutely. And then you you get that increased basically serotonin uh, boost from from eating those sugary foods because you crave it. Um, and then you know you 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 go up a big roller coaster and you crash. Um, and then all of a sudden you have that you know fatigue, brain fog, and what do, what do you think? Oh, I just need something sugary. I need a Mountain Dew. I need uh, I need a little muffin to really get my energy back. So you get a short term uh, fix and boost right up, and then you go back to crash, and then it's the ever never ending roller coaster of like, why can't I have that much energy? Like I had a Mountain Dew with, you know, sugar and it gave me a boost. Like, yeah, that's, that's not where you want to get uh, your primary energy from. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they, these are just the little things that uh, people just really aren't aware of because it, it's just not talked about as much. And the only thing that keeps the industry going is, you know, the quick fix approach and the things that are sexy and that are e easily monetized. Uh, and right. that's where we come in with the long term, not as sexy, but mm -hmm. we'll, we'll stand the test of time approach. Mm -hmm. So wrapping up here, as far as any sort of takeaways or levers that you can pull that you think will make a big difference. Is there anything that, you know, you've learned in the past couple of years or so, or just has remained one of your principles? Maybe it's mental, maybe it's the journaling, maybe it's, it's has to do with nutrition in the body. As far as something you would add, what are a couple of the things that you think are a couple of big principles that apply for your own life and that work a lot for clients and work for the average person? Especially today is, is something that I really get passionate about is, like really taking control over your own health. Um, like just because somebody told, tells you that, no, I don't see anything wrong with this or no, you look healthy. Like, and if you feel a certain way and you don't feel like yourself or want to feel better, like you can say, okay, thank you. But you have to keep searching and literally be able to do your own research. Um, there's endless amounts of material out there, people to talk to, people to ask questions, groups to ask questions like, when you aren't feeling well and you desire to feel well, it's, it can be a journey. Uh, and I know that I'm in a long journey right now of, you know, but even said, like you go to a couple different doctors to pick from what I can get, how I can get better. Sometimes test results pop up. It's like your body, you only get one chance at health. Um, and, but you, it's never, it's not the end. It's, it's not the end. If you feel like you've been to a place of a dumpster fire, like you can always build back up, but it starts with, like we talked about is the little increments of making sure you're taking care of literally, especially for, in my case and, and clients is your brain, your body and your sense of being, um, because, you know, once you lose one point of that triangle, um, it starts to really have a hard time keeping anything afloat. Um, and so it's, it's really for me, right now is, is definitely taking care and taking control of your own health and not having somebody else <laughs> tell you how you feel because only right. you know how you feel and how you desire to feel. Mm -hmm. um, but definitely is, is, is besides that, but sleep has been such a key factor that people overlook countless and countless times. Um, and definitely something that I had cut back on, which I never thought I would was caffeine. Um, because when I first got injured, I literally was overcompensating everything because I couldn't figure out why I couldn't function. Um, and so going from 600 to 200 ish milligrams is definitely had a big impact, even if I'm not feeling well, but I know that like 600 milligrams is, is not good for my body, nervous system, my gut, um, <laughs> just trying to stay wired all day is not, is not reasonable uh, as, yeah. as bad as I want to. Uh, and I know a lot of people want to just stay wired all day, but it's not reasonable and it's not sustainable. And um, just really taking control of my, my CNS and my brain. And um, yeah, when it comes to sleep, something that I've been fascinated with, and then I think I've mentioned on the podcast a little bit is caffeine can take up to 12 hours to be fully metabolized. So if you're drinking caffeine, you know, around 11 noon, one o'clock, two o'clock in the afternoon, it might not seem like a bad thing, but that is going to prevent you from really getting that restful sleep that you're going to get. And it kind of becomes a reoccurring cycle where you need more caffeine the next day, later in the day. So one thing, as far as, you know, talking about pragmatic takeaways again, is I've tried really hard to be done drinking caffeine for the day around nine or 10 in the morning. So that I can hopefully get all of that out by the time I go to bed about 10 o'clock at night. And that might seem like a big jump for a lot of people. So if you can start anywhere, I think a lot of times just cutting caffeine off at noon at lunchtime can be a good thing, but that in itself can be 
again, just one of those small levers you can pull and that's going to help your sleep uh, in, in a lot of ways. So I, I agree. Caffeine is caffeine dependency is a huge thing that you'll see even among people in the fitness industry, because it can kind of go under the, I don't know, I guess, I guess unnoticed because it's like caffeine is not a macro that's going to make you fatter. So abusing it is sometimes more common with people in the fitness space. Yeah. And they have, you know, you have your energy drinks and you have their it's in your pre-workout and they're just like, Oh no, I need it. You know, it's, and you don't average that into your overall, uh, intake and it's like mm -hmm. do you really need the the caffeine and i'm one that had to use pre-workout for the my whole life because i just what i thought like right before since college like take pre-workout get jacked up and go train like mm -hmm. that's how i wanted to be but you you can't always wait for that part to have that moment of being absolutely jacked up to go train because otherwise it's just, as time goes on you're not going to always have to have to be jacked up to get to train you're not going to mm -hmm. get to that point um but definitely with, with caffeine it is taking the slow approach of cutting back of the hundred, 200, not just going cutting cold Turkey. Cause that's mm -hmm. not going to last your, yeah. your head will feel that. And that's what, that's what I think as far as recovery, like a lot of times I know that I need to focus more on my recovery because I don't always take caffeine before a workout. And so if it feels like I'm especially demotivated, or I'm especially dragging in the gym it's not always good to put the bandaid over that with caffeine. Sometimes it is, it's situationally dependent. Sometimes you need to get that caffeine and go bust out a workout, but sometimes you just need to have a deload or go on more recovery walks or just focus on how you can get better sleep. And uh, always like, I guess the message would be allow your body to tell you things that it wants to tell you. Don't always just use the bandaid. Yeah. And really just check an inventory on yourself. Like, no, I just don't need this 300 milligrams of caffeine. Like how did I sleep? What did I even eat? That, when's the last time I ate today? Did I even have enough water? What am I stressed about? How am I relation? Like, there's so much more you can look into just saying like, nope, I'm just going to take this pill and I'll be all right. Like really check inventory on yourself before you think you need, you know, 300 milligrams of caffeine to go work out. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right, Nick, we'll, we'll wrap it up here. Uh, let people know where they can find you. And I will say, see you till next time. Yes, sir. Thanks again. And I said, I'm most active uh, on Instagram at, at Nick Krantz Fit. Uh, you can find me there. And that's why I hang out most. Well, man. Well, thanks again for coming on the show. I'm glad we got to do it. Yes, sir. Thanks again, man. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. If you would, please take a minute out of your day to review and rate the podcast as well as subscribe. It would really help me out a lot. And if you're on Instagram, go ahead and follow me on there at jakeparker.fit and screenshot and tag me when you're listening to the show. I'll be sure to share it. And thank you personally on there.